I have your daughter. I have tied her to a chair and I'm going to shoot her in the head unless you believe that I am the captain of the Brazilian football team. (laughs) Well, you're laughing, but you need to believe it, otherwise your daughter dies. Not only am I the captain of the Brazilian football team, I'm the greatest footballer on earth and the highest paid footballer on the planet. Believe it. Do you believe it? Of course not. But you need to, because otherwise your daughter is going to get it. Three, two, one. Have you believed it? You're trying to, aren't you? You're desperately trying to, but you can't. A lot of people think they control what they believe. A lot of people think they can control it. But actually, to believe something, you need to have some sort of experience. We've got five senses. If I could show you my Brazilian passport... If I could show you my bank account and show you that actually it's full of millions and millions of pounds. If I could do some keepy-uppies and some headers in a row, you might start to think, oh, maybe. And it would help you to believe. We have five senses. Of course, the deepest things that we believe, we also sense spiritually. People think they can control what they believe, but that simple thought experiment showed you all that no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't just believe it. You needed some experience. That was a little thought experiment. I'm now going to do another thought experiment with you. I'm going to show you an optical illusion. You're going to look at it, and you're going to see it one way. Uh, I'm then going to encourage you to keep looking at it and see if you can see it another way. And then I'll let you talk to the person next to you and you can explain to them the way you see it and maybe they'll see it the same way as you or they might see it differently. Everyone ready? You're going to see something, take it in, then try and see it a different way. Ready? Okay. Five, four, three... Two, one. So, I saw this on um, social media the other day. I don't know about you, what I saw was these two dogs here and what I thought was a person here walking the dogs. There's his head, he's wearing some fluffy jacket, these are his legs and and his feet here. Um, Then, you look at it a bit longer and you realise actually we've got three dogs. This is a third dog here. There's his fluffy tail, there's his head, his ears... There's his collar, and there's his feet there. Hands up if you were able to see it both ways. Yeah. Hands up if you saw it with the three dogs. No one saw it that way straight away. Hands up if you saw it with the person and the two dogs. Yeah. Now, what's the point of this experiment? Well, the point of this experiment is that thoughts, beliefs, are incredibly stubborn. Some of you are still talking about it now. You're so cross with it. (laughs) What what tends to happen is, whichever one you saw first is the one you want to be true. 
So I didn't want this to be a dog. I'm thinking, that is ridiculously large for a dog. How can that be a dog? It's clearly a person. I was arguing with with myself, even when it was proven to me that it actually is a dog. It's an optical illusion. This is a dog. It's it's someone taking a picture of their three dogs, and then he realised it looks like I'm in the picture. I don't know what angle it was taken at. I'm not sure. But... I mean, that's a ridiculously fluffy hat for someone to be wearing. It's a dog. It's not a person. But we're stubborn, aren't we? We don't want to change that. Unless I'm there, unless I can see the three dogs, I'm not going to believe it. Belief is stubborn and requires evidence for it to... Are you all right? Have I lost you already? Like... You're checking your phone in the middle of the sermon. I've only just started. And you, I see you at home. <laughs> You've started the ironing. I've only just started talking. Why are you trying to multitask? You're still doing it. You have the attention span of a goldfish. Like, how long have I been speaking for? And you've lost it already. Sound Familiar? I don't know whether that scene looks familiar to you. We're we're in a society where attention span is dropping rapidly. Um, Teachers these days are finding it incredibly hard to teach because students are coming in having been pre-entertained on the way to school by some sort of interactive game on an iPad and they come to school with their attention already uh, triggered by these blue screens. And we may say to people, you have the attention span of a goldfish. You're already thinking about checking your social media rather than uh, listening to me. But did you know that you have the attention span of a goldfish is actually now a compliment? (laughs) Recent research has shown that human attention spans are dropping dramatically. Recent research by Microsoft uh, in 2015 with 2,000 participants found that in the last 15 years, attention span has dropped from 12 seconds to 8. The the average goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds. So humans are now functioning at a level below uh, a goldfish. We are up against it in terms of trying to get people's attention and to talk to them about belief. The average office worker checks his or her phone 1,500 times a week. That's three hours and 16 minutes a day of being on their phone. They check their email 30 times every hour. I'm preaching to the choir here, lots of you know this. Uh, We often think if we put something on a website, that would be a good way to get people's attention. Recent research shows that the average website visit is only 10 seconds. They go to a website, they look at it for about 10 seconds, then move on. People's attention is very short these days. Slightly more recent research done by Ofcom said that people check their smartphones every 10 minutes. So I've probably only got your attention for about another four Last time I was speaking to you, I talked about these people. Do you remember who they are? Anyone remember? Charlie D'Amelio, 
in the middle with 151 million followers on TikTok. Addison Ray with 88 million followers and Zach King, 78 million followers. The three most influential people on TikTok. Um, I hope you've still not gone anywhere near them. Complete waste of time. <laughs> However, this person has even more influence. This person, does anyone know who this is? Mr. Beast has 233 million subscribers on YouTube. Now, Mr. Beast knows how to get people's attention. He knows that if he doesn't get their attention, in the first five seconds, he's lost it. So, here are some of his mega top videos that he has created. If you listen to the first five seconds of one of his videos, here we go, it says, I created every single set from Squid Games in real life, and whichever one of these 456 people survives the longest wins 456 grand. That's been watched by 563 million people. This one, I put 100 people inside a giant circle, and whoever leaves the circle, uh, leaves the circle last wins $500,000. That's been watched by nearly 400 million people. I spent $2.5 million on this private jet and had 11 people put their hands on it. Whoever takes their hand off last wins the private jet. 157 million views. This is what we're up against in terms of trying to grab people's attention and talk to them about Jesus Christ. Here we are. Uh, my last sermon on YouTube has been watched by 161 people. Thank you very much. I think that applause pretty much sums it up. Um, and actually, when you look at the stats for the video, thank you, Tim, people only watched the first 10 seconds. And then they dropped off. The average view was 15 minutes, so they'd watched Josh lead worship and then thought, thanks for that, I'm off. So only about 20% of people actually made it to the end of my sermon last time anyway. It's very hard to get people's attention in the modern world. And it's very hard to get them to change their beliefs. Johan Hari has written a book called Stolen Focus. Its, it's subtitle is Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. And in an interview, he said, I ended up travelling all over the world. I interviewed 250 of the leading experts in the world about attention and focus, from Moscow to Miami, from a favela, a slum in Rio de Janeiro, where attention had collapsed in a particularly disastrous way, to an office in New Zealand. We are facing a real crisis. Our attention span is shrinking. There are changes in the way that we live that are pouring acid on everyone's ability to pay attention. We have an attentional, pathogenic culture, a culture in which it is very hard for all of us to form and sustain deep focus. This is why activities that require deep forms of focus, such as reading a book, have just fallen off a cliff in the last 20 years. 
Think of the attention it requires to stick with us all the way through a sermon. Um, And as we saw, not many people can manage it. The attention it requires to dedicate yourself to thinking through matters of faith are significant. And we are in a world where these things are tough, where it's difficult to get people's attention and hold it. So I think we were asking the right question at Christmas, weren't we? Is there room? had a wonderful Christmas series looking at all the things that were crowding in over Christmas. But it's not just true at that busy season, is it? It's like that all the time. How many of us start the sentence with, how are you doing? How was your week? Good, but busy. We are rushed off our feet. Our attention spans are shrinking. And here comes our antidote. Bless. Um, I have a couple of copies of the the book here. Uh, If anyone would like to have these, you're welcome to have them at the end. I have read both of them. (laughs) Um, One was from um, Bernard, thank you Bernard, and one was one that I bought myself because I couldn't wait to get my hands on it and start preparing. Uh, One has my notes all over it, so that'll be worth a fortune in the future. (laughs) Come and and help yourself. Um, Other points that I've been making about attention in the beginning have come from this book, The Diary of the CEO. It's actually Stephen Bartlett's idea to tie up your daughter. So anyone's interested in learning more about what it's like trying to get people's attention in the modern world, that's a good place to look. Our antidote to all of this is to pray for our friends and neighbours, to pray for our community. Our antidote is to listen to them. In this modern world, who's actually just going to sit down and listen and give us some time and attention? People are crying out for it. And this week, we're going to talk about eating together. Thank you, Wayne, for giving this one uh, to me. And we're actually going to do a live experiment in church today. Uh, I've asked a few people to bring along some cakes so that after the service, along with your tea and coffee... Uh, there is some some cakes to enjoy. We're going to see whether having a delicious homemade cake improves the quality of our social interactions. So thank you very much to those of you that um, brought along a cake. It's got you talking already. It's clearly working. Um, So what, what about eating? Let's start by thinking about how much Jesus enjoyed eating. Uh, with the person next to you. What comes to mind? What are some of the meals that you know Jesus enjoyed with his disciples and the people that he met? Quickly, come on. Some ideas of what Jesus had to eat. It's not hard, is it, to think of some of the meals that Jesus enjoyed. I wonder whether you came up with a similar list to me. Uh, the wedding feast at Cana in John chapter 2. Jesus provides the best wine that they have ever tasted. Jesus cares about our basic needs. One of the great things about eating with people and providing food for them is that you are meeting their greatest basic need. Feeding the 5,000. All four Gospels 
record this. It's the only miracle, aside from the resurrection, recorded in all four Gospels. So it's easy to find. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. Jesus took the kids' uh, packed lunch and he multiplied it. What do we learn from this? We learn that Jesus can take our most humble offering. My very basic flapjack that I've made for you today. My very basic chocolate rice krispies that I've made for you. He will take those simple things, our limited resources, and he will multiply it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, you will have all that you need and you will abound in every good work. So Jesus can take our humble offerings and do amazing things with them. The Last Supper. Jesus invites his followers to remember him and his grace whenever we drink and eat with others. Whether it directly comes up or not, we can enter that meal with the intention of bringing Christ to the people that we're eating with. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and remind us of everything that he has said. So as we sit down and we eat with people, as we chat over a coffee and a cake, Jesus is longing to equip us through the power of his Holy Spirit to say the right things. He has breakfast on the beach after his resurrection. The last thing Jesus did before he went up into heaven. What does he do? He goes for breakfast with Peter. And this is when he offers Peter that fresh start. I wonder how many of us would love to have that chance to sit with Jesus and hear him say that he wants to give us a fresh start. A meal is a great way to break down barriers, to break down awkwardness, to overcome that sense of not being sure what to say and what to do and to get our message across. The one that I want to look at in a bit more detail this morning is eating with the tax collector. Uh, Does anyone know the name of the tax collector? Matthew's the one I'm talking about, yeah. Um, Now, Matthew wrote about himself in this gospel reading. So this is Matthew writing the Gospel, and this is him talking about when Jesus met him and came for dinner. The calling of Matthew, Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The tax collectors were... To not put too fine a point on it, the scum of the earth. They were the people you would not be seen with. Not someone you would sit and have a meal with. At that time, who you ate with was really important. Jews 
wanted to keep themselves pure and separate. And so going to eat with just the wrong people was a massive risk to your faith and your status. Much more significant who you eat with then than it would be seen as now. But it got me thinking, who would Jesus have a meal with uh, in Billericay? So I asked artificial intelligence to try and answer that question for me and to draw a picture of what it would be. And this is what uh, it came up with. Something about the, the, the people that sell the big issue. Maybe Jesus would want to sit with them and eat a sandwich with them. Maybe someone who's homeless, pulling up a couple of boxes and pulling out a sandwich. I wonder who... Jesus would sit and eat with, who he would have lunch with on Billericay High Street. In that reading, Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's talking to the Pharisees who are criticising him. And he's quoting what they know so well, right back at them. He's quoting the Old Testament to them. They know this back to front, so it's a bit embarrassing to them that he's quoting it at them. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They know it, but they don't do it. They don't live it out. They're so busy worrying about who they should eat with and what they should eat. They're not thinking about what this really means. Mercy not sacrifice. Their first priority is to live out the laws to the letter. But for Jesus, it's to be a blessing to people. And that's why this this book is so fantastic. That's why this series is so important, because it's taking us back to what we really ought to be doing, what we really ought to be a blessing to the people around us. The Pharisees were saying that Jesus was a drunkard and a glutton, if you look at that in Luke 7. This is a friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus ate with people so much, he was criticised for it. People made fun of him. But what he was actually doing was being a blessing. As head teacher at Beckett Keys Church of England School, one of the greatest bits of the day for us is sitting down for lunch. We have um, three professional chefs in our kitchen who cook the most fantastic food and everyone sits down to eat together. All the adults in the school, every single adult, no matter what their job is, can have a free lunch as long as they sit with the students. And so we have a thousand students, a hundred members of staff and most of them sitting down and eating together, spending 20, 25 minutes What a lot of schools have done is they've cut their lunches down because it's often where bad behaviour happens. They cut them right down, quickly feed the kids and then get them back in class and get them home at the end of the day. So we've kept our lunch at almost an hour so students can have something to eat and still have time to go to choir, to go to football practice, to to play their, their instrument. We think this is a really valuable time of day and we see it over and over again. We had visitors in the school last week and they said, I just can't believe how lovely it is in this restaurant. We've got adults sitting with children, talking, having family 
time together. And so many children don't have that time. Everyone's passing quickly. You remember that scene at the beginning, the, the family on their phones and people working and so on. That opportunity to sit together and eat is a wonderful expression of our Christian uh, ethos. It reminds me of my own um, school days. When I was at school, um, I used to bring a, a packed lunch every day. And as, when we were a bit older, we were allowed to leave the school site. When we were in sixth form, we could leave the school site. And my friends, who had a little bit more money than me, would go out every day and would buy things from the shops nearby. They'd go and buy chips, or they'd get a Chinese, or they'd go and get uh, a sandwich. And um, I would take my packed lunch um, with them. Would you like to see a photo of me around that, around that age? Yeah? I found this photo. This is me when I'm 18 years old with some of my great friends. Um, I'm the one with long hair. I know. Isn't that amazing? I once had hair. Look at that. And um, here's a revelation for you. I wasn't a very good Christian when I was at school. I didn't do RE A-level. I didn't even do RE at GCSE. Whisper it. I never went to Christian Union. Never. I went to a rather strange um, all-boys grammar school. And the Christians at that grammar school even had a lunchtime apologetics club where they would sit together and tackle some of the really hard questions so that they could then corner people and beat them in an argument about God. You know, if there's a God, why is there suffering? Aha, we have the answer to that. What about the dinosaurs? Aha, we have an answer to that. They worked it all out and would... And I never went to that. I basically kept it very quiet. Some of my friends were able to invite people to their youth club where there was table tennis and girls. Uh, I wouldn't do any of these things. I would just very quietly get on with life. But interestingly, a couple of my friends who weren't Christians became Christians and they said it was because of your witness, Andy. Because you never tried to ram anything down our throats. You just spent time with us. I went out walking with them every lunchtime and get some chips and walk back again and just talk to them about life. And I was just a Christian alongside them. If something came up, I'd talk about it. Often I'd say, I don't really know. And they would just look at me and think, you've got something. You've got a certain confidence that we like. And a couple of them became Christians. One of them's now a vicar, uh, off the back of my pretty casual witness of just spending time with them and eating uh, lunch with them. Don't underestimate the power of eating together. Our Lord and Saviour definitely didn't underestimate it. There he is in the upper room. This is your final chance before you're about to die. He could explain the mysteries of the universe. He could explain these deep, wonderful things. And what he does is explain all of that in the simplicity of a meal. 
He just says, let's break some bread and let's have a glass of wine together. And can you do this for the rest of time in remembrance of me? N.T. Wright said, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Again, I was thinking about um, when I first came to Essex, a bit older. Do you want to see my hair a little bit longer? Here's another photo from the, uh, the photo album. I'm the one in the, the, the shirt there holding an elephant made out of newspaper. And when I first came to um, Brentwood, I went to Sawyer's Church, and even though that road was in the same road as the university that was in Brentwood at the time. There were no um, students there, really. There was no students' um, programme. So what did the church do for me, their token student? They fed me. This guy here is a couple of years older than me, Ian Kemble, great friend of mine. I met him this week for a coffee and a cake. We still get together and eat together. He was the youth worker there, just four or five years older than me, he invited me back to his house, cooked me a chicken stir-fry, which was the height of sophistication as far as I could see. Mondays, I went, I went to William and Eunice Ray's. Tuesdays, I went to Richard and Wilmer's. Sundays, I went to Kingsley and Margaret. These families fed me. They invited me into their houses and fed me, and I grew as a Christian. On Thursdays, I used to work in a restaurant called Ye Old Log. Do any of you remember Ye Old Log in, um, in Brentwood? It's quite a posh Italian restaurant at the time. It's quite expensive. There's a few of you nodding. You went there. I was doing the washing up. Um, they never, ever gave me a meal. I would have to get the leftover French bread that people would send back and get it and dip it in the sauces that the chef had made when I was, before I washed them up. The chef there always wanted me to go with him to the betting shop. I never went. The people that fed me at church wanted me to grow in Christ, and I did. There's something about spending time with people, sharing a meal with them, which changes belief. A meal is a great way to do that. It's an expression of mercy and grace and it provides precious time for conversation in an attention deficit world. It's a wonderful gift to give. Some of you will be sitting there thinking, yeah, I get it, Andy. I do honestly get it, but I just don't really want to. I don't like having people in my home I don't really know what I would say and I just don't really have time. And I know what you're talking about. I don't often want to have people round either. But as I was just saying, I didn't meet Ian in either of our houses. We met in a coffee shop. You could meet someone in the pub over a picnic. You could go out for a walk to Hyde Hall and have a coffee there. Think outside the box. 
maybe you wouldn't know what to say. Well, go back to last week's sermon and watch that again, because actually it's not about what you say, it's about listening. Just be a listening ear. Um, Over time, I have developed some small talk top tips. You won't believe this, but I don't actually get on very well at talking to people in individually. I'm much better like this. I'd much rather talk to a thousand people than one or two. So I've had to learn some of these things. I'll put a little camera on there because I thought you might want to take your phone out and take a picture of it. But I know what you're like. I can't trust you. If you get your phone out, you'll be checking (laughs) your socials. So you'll have to watch it back on YouTube later. But there are good open-ended questions here that you can use to get conversation going. Lastly, you don't have time. And I am with you on that one. It is tough to make time in this busy world. But I think for some of you, do you know what? You deserve a break. And I do too. We're all working really hard. And actually we deserve a bit of this. I think few of us who are rushed off our feet need to trust God to help us a bit more. For the last few months, I've been using the Lectio 365 app. I don't know whether some of you use that as well. I really love the prayer that they say every Sunday, the Sabbath prayer. It includes these words. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. And I've really been challenged by Peter Grieg and his attitude towards rest and the Sabbath. And actually... His challenge is that we need to trust God more and say, look, if I'm going to rest, if I'm going to spend this time going out for a meal with someone or having a drink with someone, I'm going to need you to help me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you can abound in every good work. So we can trust God to help us. I also wonder whether we could help each other out a little bit as well. I wonder whether we can use our Sunday tea and coffee opportunity. We've got a small rotor of people doing that. Could you join the rotor? Could you help out? Could we up our game on Sundays a bit? And as people come and visit the church and come to see us, can we give them a nicer bit of cake and a nicer cup of coffee than they would have elsewhere here at our church? What about bring and share lunches? What about a curry night? What about a summer barbecue? What can we do as a group? What about little lights? For those of us who are hearing about that at the church meeting this week, could you be at little lights helping serve tea and coffee and a biscuit? It's amazing what a difference that makes. We've got a children's group there, we've got a children's group at Fine Road on Fridays where parents are coming with their children and would love to be able to sit and have a cup of tea. Maybe you're no good at making tea and coffee. Maybe you need to be doing the washing up like me. What about youth camp? What about different opportunities when we're eating as a church? What could you do and we'll do it together as a team? Does anyone know what a langar is? Heard of a langar? 
few RE teachers are going, I've heard of this, I know it's one of the main religions. In the Sikh religion, in their Gurdwara, they serve Langar every day. 365 days a year, 8am to 10pm, free food in the Gurdwara. They work together as a team to serve a vegetarian curry every day, depending on the Gurdwara. Some are unable to do it every single day. But they work together. They take this very seriously to provide this meal for anyone. Anyone at all. You don't have to be a Sikh to go in and enjoy a curry in the Gurdwara. It's free and it's available. What could we be doing a bit more like that? Finally, let's just summarise what we've done. We've thought about eating together. We've thought about beliefs being harder to change than perhaps we might like to admit. We've talked about attention being hard to get hold of these days. Eating together provides time, it provides a space for this. It also provides us an opportunity to show grace and mercy. So as we finish, I want us to think about that meal that Jesus had with the tax collector, Matthew. Let's think about a meal that we could have with someone this week. Maybe it's just going to be a coffee, maybe it's just going to be a cake. Maybe you're just going to go in with a cup of coffee and give it to someone and put it on their desk this week and sit with them whilst you drink together. Let's think about those simple things that we could be doing this week as I finish with a prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of food and fellowship, for the nourishment of our bodies and souls. We thank you for inviting us to your table where we can share your love and grace with others. We thank you for calling us to follow your son as he did with Matthew the tax collector all those years ago sharing a meal. Lord God we confess that we often neglect the opportunities to eat with our friends and neighbours. We miss opportunities to show them your kindness and compassion, to tell them your good news and invite them gently into your kingdom. We ask for your forgiveness and your guidance. Help us to overcome our fears and prejudices, our busyness and distractions, our selfishness, our pride. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see the people around us. Help us to reach out to those who are distracted, for those whose beliefs are entrenched. We pray for those who long for your presence, who hunger for your word, and those who just don't realise it or don't know where to go or what to do. We pray that you would inspire us to reach out to them, to welcome them, maybe into our homes, into a coffee shop, for a piece of cake. Help us in doing so to share our faith with them as Jesus did. We pray that you would use us to make disciples of Billericay, as you commanded us. Lord, we pray that as we eat with our friends and neighbours, 
we would grow closer to you. And we would also learn from your example and imitate Jesus' character. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who lives and reigns with you, with the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.